everyone. Um, before we get started, we just wanted to issue a quick disclaimer about today's episode. Um, we recorded it a few weeks ago before the protests and everything in the news really peaked, and you'll be able to hear it. Um, we also wanted to say that we stand with the Black Lives Matter movement and for the call for justice for George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and so many others. One of the reasons I love Dune is it's an archetypal story of rising up in the face of oppressive forces. Uh, I do believe Sardaukar are cops. <laughs> that being said, we know that this is a bit of a distraction from all that's going on. And since I'm always recommending things on this pod, um, I thought I'd recommend something that is decidedly not a distraction this podcast called Justice in America, which I've been listening to this week. I'm just on the first season, but um, each episode tackles a different issue in the criminal justice system. The first episode is a really excellent one about the problems with cash bail and why so many people, mainly people of color, are locked up pre-trial because they can't afford bail. It is really informative, and um, I recommend it. It's, again, Justice in America. And hey, while you're at it, why not donate to a national bail fund? We will link one in the show notes. Thanks, everyone. A beginning is a very delicate time. Know then that it is the year 10,191. In this time, the most precious substance in the universe is the spice melange. The spice extends life. The spice exists on only one planet in the entire universe. The planet is Arrakis, also known as Dune. Son, a podcast about Dune. Hey there, Sandies! (laughs) Welcome to Sand, a podcast about Dune. I am one of your hosts, Lance, and I'm here with Molly. Molly, how are you? Hi, Lance. Yeah, I'm doing good. Good. How about you? Good. I'm doing all right. It's getting hotter and hotter. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think I mentioned on the last episode that listening to Dune, especially when they're in the desert while walking, uh-huh. Uh, in this heat is psychologically makes it much hotter uh, <laughs> and I think that's getting worse and worse as I listen to it it's just mm-hmm. making me sweatier and sweatier yeah yeah you need to go find a big vat of water to toss yourself in yeah you mean a pool and... <laughs> <laughs> no a vat of water I <laughs> meant what I said <laughs> So your mind isn't totally freaked. Right. Yeah. I don't want to be a mind freak. No, you definitely don't want to get your mind freaked. Can't get unfreaked that easily. What's going on with you? Gosh. Now that you're talking about that, I'm like so wanting to swim. It's insane. Mm. Like I, and I don't know if it's, if that's responsible or not at all. Uh, To want to swim or to swim? No, I, I'm, I feel responsible and fine with my desire to swim, <laughs> but <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> I, 
actually like jumping into water seems totally, totally unsafe. I don't understand why so many people are swimming, but like, I can't not picture all, you know, they say this transfers by water droplets. So it's like, wouldn't it just be everywhere in the water? Yeah, I don't, I honestly don't think it could be safe to swim. Oh, (laughs) I'm sorry. I bet you could look it up though. I need to, I mean, I keep wanting to look it up, but then I don't want to look it up because I don't want it to confirm. But yeah, yeah, I don't know. Not swimming is is bumming me out. (laughs) So yeah, that's kind of, I'm mainly preoccupied in this mind trap of, should I swim? I want to look it up. Don't want to look it up because what if I can't swim? Instead, I'll just like live in this perpetual state of like need and desire to swim (laughs) with the hope alive that one, you know, one day soon I could swim. All right. Should we get into movie talk? Yeah. Um, I have to confess that I I ha- I fell asleep during every single movie I watched <laughs> <laughs> this week. So um Did you finish anything? Not a one. Oh wow. I literally fell asleep during every single one. And then I would be too I'd be like, oh well I could keep watching it or I could try a new movie. So that was one pro that was problem number one. And then problem number two, I'll get to at the end so these are the movies <laughs> i fell asleep during this week okay not this doesn't mean that they were bad movies i actually think i right. it was enjoying them all it's just i was like struck with a sleep disease this week okay so i watched um batman the 1989 one mm-hmm. uh, the passionate friends underwater marwinkle the opposite of sex and that's it are there any that you stayed awake for most of? Okay, the ones that I watched the most of was Underwater and then um, this David Lean movie, The Passionate Friends. So actually, I guess first I'll, I'll talk about, I was also extremely distracted by playing this PC game called Nancy Drew, The Ghost of Thornton Hall. <laughs> <laughs> and that took up a lot of my time this week. I guess I'm like fully regressing. period um (laughs) but it was extremely fun I've never played I like I love you know PC games are so fun you just like click a point and walk around stuff like that so it's really old-fashioned but it's fun it's just like a Nancy Drew mystery and she's wandering around this Thornton Hall she's trying to find out about the disappearance of this girl named Jessalyn and I think as a kid, I was always kind of too stupid to play <laughs> these kinds of games because I just couldn't figure out like the logic at all. So I'd just be stuck walking mm-hmm. around like the mansion a million times and just never know what to do because you have to like do things in order and play little games and you know, you have to, you just have to figure logically things out. So it's been fun to play as an adult with a bit more brain power. <laughs> and like actually solve things and find things and you know you have to speak to these three different people and if you say the wrong thing they stop talking to you and so it just tests your skills (laughs) i'm into it so you're enjoying playing a child's game as an adult (laughs) yes so i just looked this game up it says it's the 28th installment in the nancy drew point these are wildly popular there's like huge there's a whole subreddit or what i mean there's like not even a subreddit i don't know what these things are called a forum or something for uh just every single game it's like this huge community all of the games are made by this like 
all-female group called Her Interactive. And they've, yeah, they've done a lot of work to like make the games playable on newer computers and um, mutual friend Danielle got me into it. So yeah, they're really fun and scary, kind of. I mean, there's like ghosts and stuff. So that's why you... Yeah, that's why I didn't finish any movies really. I mean, that makes sense. I used to play computer games a lot and it would suck me in. I'd be like, wow, it's been five hours. Oh my God, I know. You could play for so long. I stayed up so late every night, which again is probably why I was sleeping so much in the middle of the day. And then, okay, I guess I'll say Underwater was really fun. Really recent. Has Kristen Stewart in it and TJ Miller. It didn't get very good reviews, but you liked it. I hadn't seen it. Yeah, it got terrible reviews, Um, but I thought it was really fun. I don't know. I have a phobia of open water. Yeah, I love it, but it does kind of make me panic. Yeah, watching this movie, they're like in this giant rig, which is super cool. (laughs) And they have to walk like they're super far deep sea ground of the ocean. And um, they have to like go into open water walking around. And it's just like freaky. (laughs) Um, And then there are these like weird deep sea monsters that are attacking them. Um, Have you seen The Abyss? No. Oh, I'm curious how you would feel it compares to The Abyss. You should watch The Abyss. It's like similar. They're like, it's about people trapped underwater. Oh, cool. Yeah, I'm into it. It definitely, like there's a part where Kristen Stewart first steps out into the open water and she looks up and it's just blackness and you just feel like the pressure of the ocean and it (sighs) really freaked me out. So it was kind of fun to watch for that. And then I fell asleep. (laughs) 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 So I'm not sure if it holds, like maybe it, the bad reviews come in at the end, but the first like hour or so was really good. Uh, so I'm assuming none of these were that great because you didn't finish them after you fell asleep. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> the best movie was definitely The Passionate Friends, which do you know David Lean? Yeah. Yeah. I have a weird thing with him where I um I watched them and at first I'm like, it feels like a new movie. And then the more I watch it, the more I'm sure I've seen it before. And that's Hmm. happened to me with every one of his movies, but I don't know where I would have seen them or why. This one, at a certain point, I was like, I definitely have seen this and I know the ending. And I was like, okay, yeah, I have. But anyway, it's just an uncanny situation with him. But I, I really like them. They're always kind of, they're so like emotional and dramatic and usually very pretty. Yeah, I like David Lean. Yeah. I haven't seen that one, though. It was good. It had the guy from uh, Casablanca, Louis. Oh. Yeah, but he's playing, like, totally opposite, where he's, like, this uh, very boss banker, kind of malevolent, you feel at first, but then there's this wonderful turn in it. Anyway, it's pretty great. Cool. Yeah. Uh, How much of the opposite of sex did you watch? Not very, not very much. <laughs> maybe, maybe 25 minutes. Okay. Is it good? I don't, I don't remember. I remember really liking it when it came uh-huh. out, but I haven't seen it since it was in the theater. And I'm like, did I like it? Was it good? I have no idea. I don't know. I was just curious if it holds up. Yeah, the tone is weird so far. Yeah. Like, I do like it. And I like Christina Ricci a lot. And Lisa Kudrow. My God. But like, it's a lot of like, Christina Ricci being like uh, making jokes about gay people, but I mean, it's definitely tongue in cheek. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's anti-gay, <laughs> obviously. Um, but yeah, there it's like a little abrasive, I guess. 
All right. Well, I also did not watch many movies. Mm-hmm. Naomi and I tried to like rack our brains to remember all the movies we watched. We could, just couldn't remember very many. But I think that's because we were watching like we watched like three episodes of Sherlock and those are like movie mm-hmm. length. Mm-hmm. We watched The Sopranos. We started watching The Expanse on Mia's recommendation. Cool. And the movies we watched were Guardians of the Galaxy 2, Winter Kills, Free Fire, Excalibur. Well, there's not many movies on this list, but I guess I'll I'll talk about this movie Winter Kills because it's just fucking crazy. Okay. Uh, it's this bizarre movie with Jeff Bridges, who's he's very young in it. And it's essentially it's inspired by the like conspiracy theories about the JFK assassination because he plays the like young brother of a president who is assassinated. And then he is told something like nine years later that there was another shooter. And so he kind Mm -hmm. of like decides to investigate this on his own and try to figure out what what really happened and who, you know, who paid for the shooter like who who really had him killed but totally is just absolutely bonkers like sometimes you're watching it and you're like okay this is a serious movie it's a straightforward drama and then something so ridiculous happens you're like okay i think they're going for comedy because this doesn't make any sense (laughs) there's the tone of a comedy is completely gone Mm -hmm. like he goes to he's sent to go see this guy everyone's insanely rich in the movie like just all super rich old white men and he goes to see this man about, like, again, who who hired the shooter. And he gets there, and this old man and all his friends are in tanks. They're, like, driving around in tanks. Uh, oh, not, like, immersion tanks. No, like, tanks. Like wow. War tanks. <laughs> uh, and they surround his car, and he gets out and starts talking to this guy. And the guy, like, tells him oh, you need to go talk to this other guy, like blah, 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 and like kind of gives him a little bit of information and then sends him off to see another guy. And then he's like, also, I'm going to wait 30 seconds and then we're going to chase you. And he, oh. and once he, like, he gets back into his car, they start running after him, like firing their tanks at him, <laughs> uh-huh. like as he drives away. And the whole time, it just feels like you can't tell. It's like, is this supposed to be scary? Or is this like right. just so ridiculous that it's supposed to be funny? Because I was laughing because it's ridiculous. Uh-huh. Anthony Perkins is in it from Psycho. I don't oh, know. Wow. It's, it's bizarre. It's, what? it's everyone's everyone's like shooting for over 10. Like everyone's like their performance is turned up as as high as it can go. Everyone's like trying to win an Oscar in it. It's mm-hmm. insane. So yeah. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> yeah. Sounds kind of fun. I mean, I think that the idea of a bunch of rich people in tanks is funny. I know that it's supposed to be funny in parts, but I just can't tell where that ends. Like, right, I like, was tell. that supposed to be, like, super cool action move or something? Like, did they right. just want to film that? Right. That's yeah, what I, I always know. think with, like, those action movies. That's how, I mean, I don't get it, personally, <laughs> because I don't care to see that, like, action stuff that much. But mm-hmm. I would think, like, oh, yeah, they just, like, thought it would be really cool to have a bunch of tanks. Well, the director's clearly going for like a Doctor Strange love feel, which uh, like right. So, so that felt so, like parody yeah. a little bit, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All right. Huh? Interesting. Sounds kind of artistic. <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> but I, I, I would honestly say that like he's the the director, like everybody in the movie, is like also just like shooting for the moon, and he just doesn't quite have the skill level. Right. He's trying to be Kubrick, and it's like, well, you're um, not Kubrick. Come on. <laughs> 
I mean, I watched Free Fire. I fell asleep for the first time and then finished watching it the next night. Honestly, it's okay. It's not great. I don't even, I don't know what that is. Free Fire is this director I like, Ben Wheatley. Uh-huh. He plays around with genre a lot. His early movies are really, really good just because he kind of like will start in one genre and then all of a sudden you're like, wait, the genre just changed. And it's like, it's it's pretty cool. But this one is just, essentially it takes about 15 minutes and then the rest of the movie is, the entire movie is one gunfight. Okay. So Yeah, yeah. sounds super boring. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> No, no, it's, yeah. it was interesting and it was fine. It just, it was an experiment that I didn't think worked very well. Yeah. Oh, well, that's cool. Which Sherlock season are you watching? We're in the second one. I, oh yeah. I never, I never made it past the first episode of the third season. So I'm kind of wondering if it will keep my interest long enough to make it further this time. Yeah. I remember seeing the first episode and being so blown away by it. And then... The second season, I don't think I... Oh, wait. Yes, I did. The second season's pretty awesome. It ends pretty... It's all about Mycroft. Oh, not Mycroft. What's his name? Moriarty, yeah. yeah. Andrew Scott. And that's a very fun arc. Yeah. And then the third season just tonally kind of shifts in a weird way, like where it's like very tongue-in-cheek and aware of the audience. Yeah, it felt very slapsticky. I think it just like threw me off. Like, yeah. Well, and they keep like joking around with the relationship between Sherlock and Watson. Will they, won't they? <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. okay, whatever. Well, I love that show. I'm, yeah. I'm enjoying it. I'm definitely enjoying it. Cool. Well, do we want to move on into uh, Dune Talk? Yeah, let's dip into the sandbag. Yeah, we got us we got an email from a Sandy this and week. And this, e- this email was exciting because this is someone that we don't know. Yes. So that means that someone we don't know listened to this podcast and actually enjoyed it. And it wasn't one of our friends. And that's very exciting. That's very exciting. What fun. So thank you to um, our emailer. They emailed with some thoughts and some clarification about the Dune universe. So the first one was about where they think the... Uh, split might happen for the movie because in the email they listened to we were still we had decided oh yeah it's gonna end at the book one which we revised in the next one but right yeah so they said i seriously doubt that the movie split happens between the dune and the muadib books we have set photos of chani and stilgar in rocky desert most likely from the scene where they meet paul and jessica and so he basically says that they definitely get some fremen time right Right, mm-hmm. which we kind of like, we, we did kind of figure. Although I think that having Chani in the cast at all does indicate, oh, they're going to go probably pretty deep into the book too. Because we, ju- we yes. just now got to Chani. Right. And I actually, I think that where we end today is actually where the movie will end. Yeah, I think that's, that's very possible. Last week, right. um, yeah, you yeah, thought we maybe we keep changing was, our mind. We keep we changing, keep changing our, mind. our mind, but no, but I don't think I ever said that that was that. That's where I thought this is where You're I right. thought. Yes, so I meant the I meant the royal we. I keep changing my mind. <laughs> um, so I originally pictured it ending when they first meet Stilgar in mm-hmm. um in that like basin, but after reading these chapters and remembering in the Dune in the movie, I thought. It seemed like a natural end for them to like open up on the the Fremen's water supply and that kind of be the end. Right, right. That that does make sense. Our emailer also mentioned a little bit about the like Harkonnen's name, mm-hmm. 
meaning small ox, but seems to think that Frank Herbert just picked it out of the phone book because it sounded Soviet. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, which is funny. And then they had a clarification for us about how the guild navigators work. We were certain that they folded space. Well, we weren't certain. I think we kept saying, I don't think this happens in the book, but it mentions in the movie. But yeah, I kept conflating the two, like put it, putting the folding space thing, applying it mm-hmm. to the book, which is not which is not the case. So yeah, I'll, I'll read what they said. They said, I think it's a common mistake caused by the Lynch movie to think that guild navigators fold space. They don't. Like their name suggests, they chart safe paths using their limited prescience. The folding itself is an entirely mechanical process derived from the same scientific theory that allows shields and floating suspensor to work. Interstellar travel would work without navigators, but since there are no computers to calculate safe paths through folded space, it's way too dangerous to build a stable galaxy-wide civilization around it. It's very interesting. And I do think that that makes Paul's ability, you know, where he can see himself as a future navigator, make so much more sense. Mm-hmm. It's like, a, and we kind of already talked about that, but like that that's maybe how that works. Right. Um, yeah. Thank you, emailer. Really yeah. appreciated the uh, clarification and the yeah. insights. And if you, if anybody listening has anything on their mind, corrections or questions, send, send us an email. Mm-hmm. Cool. Oh, they also really like the podcast logo of the sandworm with headphones. Yeah. Which we should mention again is Carlos Larata. Uh-huh. Made that for us, and yes. uh, we love it. Shall um, we get into Doom terms? Yes, Doom terms. Okay. okay. So I looked at Chakobsa, um, the language of the Fremen, um, and at first I kind of just thought that it was going to be that Herbert, similar to his Harkonnen naming, just kind of put a bunch of different languages together and made up words. Um, but actually, it has a more interesting history. It says it's actually mentioned. So in researching Dune, I wanted to find specific books that Frank Herbert was influenced by. And the only book anybody ever really says is direct influence is The Sabres of Paradise by Leslie Blanche, hmm. um, which is about a Sufi mystic. So there's a quote in that book that says they laughed derisively speaking among themselves in that mysterious tongue, Chakobsa, the hunting language, which the rulers and princes used when they wished to converse in secret and of which no more than a few words have been discovered. Yeah, so the Sabres of Paradise is about the Russian Chechen conflicts of the 19th century. So it's cool, it's a real language that is, is an actually kind of secret language that uh, we don't have a lot of information about because yeah, it's like this language of princes that is coded and does have a mix of, and Frank Herbert said that his Chakobsa is a mixture of Roma, Serba, Croat, and various Arabic terms. So he might've made up a little bit of it, but he definitely got the influence from this book. I just thought it was cool that it was an actual language. Yeah, it says it according to Wikipedia that people still use it. Yeah. It's still used by the descendants. That's really interesting. Yeah, I thought that was way better. I mean, you know, um, I figured it was a Lord of the Rings thing just done much lighter. But I like that that he actually kind of used a real language. Yeah, that is cool. That is cool. Mm -hmm. And uh, like a hunting language is the idea of a hunting language is really cool. Yeah, very cool. Uh, Yeah, so that's that was my my Dune term. 
All right. Shall we jump into the book? We went through yeah. chapters, the seventh through twelfth chapter of book two. So we have chapter seven, Paul and Jessica, uh, essentially just like getting from one rock to another rock while being followed by a worm. <laughs> yeah, it's it's intense. They start walking across and they have to walk in the weird, like mm-hmm. not normal way. Walk without um, rhythm and you won't attract a worm. Uh-huh. And their muscles really hate it. How did you yeah. picture this walking? That's funny that you asked. So when I was <laughs> listening to it, I was yeah. outside walking. Oh, so you, you, did you give it a try? I started to try to do it. Because <laughs> I was just curious. It kind of felt like bad dancing. That's kind of how I saw it. What, with like, like your hands like this? <laughs> like No, no, just like. It's like a step and then a slide and then like a step, step and then slide. But you're like trying to do it irrhythmically, like Mm -hmm. not, not, you know, not with rhythm. And it did, A, I felt really stupid and stopped doing it immediately. And (laughs) B, it felt like it would be hard because you're like, you want to walk like a normal person. Like you just like want to walk like with the way your body wants to walk. Yeah. Well, that's funny. Yeah. I, I, I didn't totally picture it. I mean, I guess I just like pictured them walking and then stopping. Uh, But yeah, Jessica really had a hard time with it. And then they run into drum sand, which is cool. I really love drum sand. You love drum sand? Oh yeah, I mean, it's cool. Like I love the like boom, 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 drum sand. Like it's just a weird, I I can't figure out how it works unless there's canvas or something underneath. Yeah, I don't really understand (laughs) it. Yeah, but it's, attracts the worm and the worm starts chasing them really well there's a thumper that there is a th- they had set up a thumper before they went out yeah uh-huh yeah so the worm starts chasing them gets closer and closer and then jessica's like run paul and they mm-hmm. run and barely make it and then and yeah. then the worm is called away uh-huh. by another thumper by some fremen and jessica's like well why why would they call the the worm how do they know we're out here are they trying to save us and Paul's like, maybe they're calling the worm for another reason. Mm-hmm. And Jessica's like, why would they want to do that? And Paul kind of like uses his vision or whatever to like seek out an answer, but it's just like just out of his grasp. Mm-hmm. He just kind of like kind of sees it has something to do with the the hooks that are in his pack. Right. Yes. And this, I think it's because I've been playing this Nancy Drew game all week. Uh-huh. <laughs> like that reminded me a lot of like these games and like, you know, kind of the scientific method, you know, that there's something you need to uh, mm-hmm. do, but like one of the things in the Nancy Drew game is you have to charge the cell phone and there's like, you have these, <laughs> you have these oranges and you see, you know, some old chords and you're like how do these all work together i don't quite know it yet but then you have to like get a message from a ghost in order to (laughs) it was exactly like this where paul doesn't (laughs) paul has these hooks and he's like i could use these but i don't know how yet the time hasn't come he also sees the worm and he's like really excited by it he says paul felt a kind of elation yeah. He's very moved by the worms. Then they they go up and that's when Paul sees the little mouse, right? Uh-huh. And I can't tell if he likes the mouse at that point because it says that he like... Hissed? Hissed, yeah. He hissed, mice! Mice! I think he was like more excited and lively than I've ever seen him when he saw yeah, the mice. Yeah, like he was excited. He, he, he like, was ah! excited. Yeah. I mean, we later find out he's impressed by the mice because otherwise yeah. why would he want to be named after them? 
No, he's super. He likes the mice, and they keep going pop, pop, pop. Yeah, so pop, cute. pop, 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 <laughs> pop. Mm-hmm. And they're in yeah. this cool. What do they call it? Is it a basin? Yeah, and it's yeah. very gorgeous. Yeah, and they they had seen like the indications that Fremen were living near here because there's like poles and stuff marking the way up to the basin. Mm-hmm. And then they hear most intruders here regret finding the Fremen, and mm-hmm. it's Stilgar. It's Stilgar. Bum, bum, which, bum. which we know just because someone calls them still. Yeah, so we know that there are two people there and they're kind of trapped. And then they want their water. So that's that so chapter. That's that chapter. The next chapter, we have Kynes in the desert and the Harkonnens are back to their old game of just leaving someone in the desert and assuming they'll die. <laughs> yeah, but in this case, you know. Unfortunately. Unfortunately, it worked. Yeah, um, yeah this chapter is super intense. It's really weird and interesting. It made me feel like if Dune was like a TV series, this would be like an episode of the series, something like uh, Better Call Saul or something where you're watching it and you're like, oh, this is like a standalone episode that, you know, is, it doesn't really fit into the whole arc of the story. And then something happens at the end and you're like, oh, it does mat- Like it does fit into the whole story as a, as a whole. Oh, I like that. It does kind of feel like that. It's a very... when. Whenever I read it, it really stuck out to me in my memory as very Mm -hmm. different than the rest of the book. And yeah, it's kind of this complete story. It's like the story of kinds, basically. Yeah, it's weird because I don't remember this chapter. Like when I read this chapter, I was like, I don't remember this. And I kept going like, I kept falling for the chapter's tricks, which are like giving you hope that he's going to survive. Oh. Like he keeps thinking that, you know, that the, that the Fremen are nearby. Yeah. And, and I like, I remember that kind of dies, but I had forgotten that it happened in this way at this point in the book. Wow. And so I was like, oh, is he going to get away? Like, Oh, it worked on you. Him? Yeah. <laughs> Such blind and foolish hope. Yeah. I was foolish. Yeah, well, I think it starts with a very cool thing from the Princess Irulan. Uh, it's the old man's hymn. And reading it a few times, I didn't... It says that, you know, this is kind of the the Fremen religious adaptation is the pillars of the universe. And so the old man's hymn... I mean, I think basically it's like man versus nature. It's like mm-hmm. this guy who's crawling through the desert. Eh, similar. And thinking that he's going to conquer it in some way. And then he realizes that the, the animal, like the sparrows that he sees have uh, taken over even all of his memories. And he's no longer probably separate from it at all. Cool. Yeah, I hadn't actually even like really, I don't think this one stuck with me, but I think it's cool. Yeah, I know. I tend to wash over songs and books, but mm-hmm. I do like these in general i feel like they wind up adding yeah i like them when they don't rhyme yeah i think when they rhyme they're usually bad (laughs) all right i could agree with that uh yeah so it's just kind getting desert madness his brain is melting he's he doesn't have a still suit he's just you know the elements are getting to him and he's going crazy and he's hearing the voice of his father yeah he keeps standing up and falling immediately back down he's like he feels his temperature really cool, uh, but it's only because all of his body moisture is evaporating. He knows the signs that he's on pre-spice, which means mm-hmm. like some gas explosion is about to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all very intense. And yeah, so he keeps seeing these 
scavenger birds above him and thinking that the Fremen will notice them and come save him. Right. Which really is kind of Kynes' downfall in some ways. Like, his dad is very, very much a scientist, which mm-hmm. he keeps being like, shut the fuck up! Yeah. <laughs> you dad! <laughs> I'm dying, you stupid man! <laughs> yeah, he keeps going, why aren't you helping me? Like, <laughs> can't you see i'm dying dad <laughs> yeah he's always yeah he says his dad's always lecturing him but his dad is telling him some cool stuff about just basic planetary ecology and how it works and what his dream for the fremen was which is yeah. and kind of what kind was doing like kind yeah. of it's just saying what his plan was and to you know introduce life into the environment plant life and to try to change essentially the climate of the of the planet yeah Um, and to do it slowly and to realize how the planet actually works and um, respond well to that and think you know organize the living men and people on the planet ecologically too where they're actually contributing and then his dad's voice is kind of chastising him for kind of trusting paul and jessica yeah and, and saying that a hero is kind of is bad for them like that's the last thing they need which I guess is kind maybe essentially like doubting himself. I think so. Yeah, and he's like sort of defiant about it at the end um, when he's like, there's a solution to this that neither my father or, yeah, that his father had never seen and it was Paul and Jessica. And I think that it's kind of lovely that at the same time he's putting all his hope in Paul and Jessica, he also is putting his hope in being found by the Fremen. Mm-hmm. So it's all kind of this pointless hope. Yeah, and misguided instead of like the patient scientist approach. It's interesting. I mean, his father too is a little bit, like he says at the end that it occurred to Keynes that his father and all other scientists were wrong, that the most persistent principles of the universe were accident and error, which does kind of betray. I mean, his father does have sort of like, he doesn't really allow for human error in his plans, it sounds like, especially his own son's. I wrote down that that was my favorite part is that last sentence that you just read uh, yeah. with the addition of the final sentence, which was even the Hawks could appreciate these facts. <laughs> yeah. They got a meal out of it. Yeah. 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 They're sitting there appreciating it. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was super cool when he said that whole paragraph is cool. Cause he's also like, as the planet uh, ate him, <laughs> oh, then as his planet killed him, yeah, because I guess like some big hole explodes and then sucks him down into it and like turns him into spice. <laughs> yeah, like I think it kind of pops up and then pulls him in. Yeah, like, it, like it's a it's a bu- it's a bubble of gas that like pops up and then like the sand sucks him. In. Yeah, but it kind, kind of, of feels like... cool as he goes in and he likes it. Yeah, he likes it. He's like, okay, this is nice. <laughs> this will do. I think it is nice to, he does seem to um, recognize that he's dying. Even though he Mm -hmm. has moments of delirious hope, he's pretty much aware that he's going to die. And then we get into that ninth chapter. I really like this one because it's more Jessica just like kicking ass. Oh yeah, she goes into total boss mode again. Bosses out. Yeah, Yeah, we go back to, to Paul and Jessica with Stilgar and Stilgar's crew and they're considering taking their water Mm -hmm. and Jessica essentially is just quick enough and fast enough and uses her weirding ways to maneuver herself 
to get a knife to Stilgar's throat. First, Stilgar's kind of like walking around. He's he's uh, relaxed. He's making jokes somewhat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, yeah, he tells Jessica that he's like, oh, you know, no offense, but we just can't have like, a, we can't just keep you around just because you're alive. You know, you right. if you're not talented or trained in the desert, then you're just going to suck all our resources. So like nothing personal, but I am going to kill you. And then, right. so she starts to fake faint, <laughs> basically like a, right. like a woman would, and then like shifts around and somehow gets his knife and then shoves him against the wall. Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah, <laughs> he starts cursing out all the people around him, but in a pretty like jovial way. Yeah. yeah. Well, he's super impressed. Yeah. Like, he's so impressed. Like, he's like, oh, very cool. Okay. So yeah, he's just like, why didn't you tell me you could, you had the weirding way? And his logic is essentially like, well, I'm the best of the Fremen and you beat me. So that means you're the best now. Yeah. Yeah. Just logically, you're the best of this. So why don't you teach us how to be the best? (laughs) Yeah. Well, I just love it when he's like this. He's so like blusterous and full Mm -hmm. of life, really. Mm -hmm. Like (laughs) he's like, you could be the folk of the legend, he said, but I'll believe it when that's been tested. All I know is that you came here with that stupid duke who, I woman! Because <laughs> he's like the stupid duke and she's like shoves yeah. him more. <laughs> yeah. Like, I care not if you kill me. He was honorable and brave, but it was stupid to put himself in the way of the Harkonnen fist. It's pretty good. Like, yeah. It also yeah. made me remember how early in, in the podcast you said that you thought Duke Leto was a fool. Yeah. <laughs> when he said it, I was like, oh yeah, that's exactly how Stilgar feels too. <laughs> I mean, totally. He is a fool. And Jessica agrees, too. She's like, yeah, I know. It was stupid. So during all this, Paul's kind of like popping around in the shadows and like getting ready just in case he's needed. There's one more line. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Right after that, that guy is, he's like, but still. And he's like, do as she says, you wormed-faced, crawling, sand-brained piece of lizard turd. Do it or I'll help her dismember you. Can't you see the worth of this woman? Wow. That part stuck out to me. I thought it was so funny the way he calls them that. <laughs> he keeps calling them that and he keeps saying, great gods. I also like that he keeps saying, but you woman, you have the weir- weirding ability of battle. Yeah, I just, I love how he keeps calling people sand brained. And then at, the, at that one point, he just like has this huge list of <laughs> insults. <laughs> Well, he keeps saying that too. He like insults Chani too later. <laughs> He's insul- insulting Jamis now. Uh, one of the things that happens too is that Paul bests Jamis. Yes. And, and he gets really like butthurt over it. I know. I'll talk about this later, but Jamis was giving me major Joker vibes. <laughs> <laughs> like walking Phoenix Joker. I also wanted to say that one thing I'm like loving. I think this chapter is a good example of that is just how all the main characters are like the best at their respective games as mm-hmm. they could be. Like we don't have any losers in the bunch. <laughs> right. Like they're extremely capable and good. I mean, we've already talked about that a lot, but like it's just cool to see how they're training, how they are able to best other people. Well, and we've already seen how the Fremen bested the Sardaukar so easily, which means that like yeah. the Fremen are the best trained. And mm-hmm. that just shows how like badass Jessica is. Sardaukar are the best, like Sardaukar are amazing. And then, oh shit, the Fremen can beat the Sardaukar. And then, oh shit, Jessica, Jessica can beat the Fremen. rules them all. Yeah. 
Yeah, he's uh, so they make a little deal that Jessica will teach them the weirding way of battle and they'll teach them how to survive in the desert. And she's like, she wants to sign about it. And he's like, out here, woman, we carry no paper for contracts. Because he, yeah, he's like, has a lot of disdain for other, like, what he sees as false markers of civilization, maybe. Like a contract for paper is kind of, it's not really that trustworthy in itself. But, you know, they think that they're like, because he says, you're the ones lived with papers and empty contracts. And then she reveals she's Benny Jezret. And then we met meet Cheney. Uh, she's daughter of Kynes. Yeah. And then she's kind of like immediately kind of like thinks Paul is kind of a doofus. Like he doesn't know what he's uh-huh. doing. Yeah. She's like, silly, silly Paul. Like you climbed up the hardest way, you yeah. dumbass. Yeah. 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 She's cool. He's seen her before mm-hmm. um, in his mind's eye, in his dreams. Mm-hmm. The girl of his dreams. Mm-hmm. Literally. <laughs> Literally. So that brings us to 10, right? Oh, the one other oh. thing. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Is that, um, yeah, Paul is like up, is sitting up there and Stilgar tells him to come down. And I liked, he keeps calling him a cub. And then Paul's just like sitting up there kind of silently watching mm-hmm. and crouched. And then he like won't follow Stilgar's order. And she's like, notice how he didn't come. And he's like, oh, he'll only follow your orders. And she's like, Paul, it's okay to come down now. And he like crawls down again. I just thought it was kind of cute. It like made me picture Paul as an animal. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like a cute little animal. He was like, okay. For some reason, that's another thing that like stuck in my head after I read the book was like Paul sitting up there and like only coming down with his mother's order. So we move on to chapter 10, where we just keep following the same people. This might be the first time this happens in the book, because it seems to like kind of jump around leading up to here. This is the first time that we're like kind of settling in one place for a few chapters in a row. Mm -hmm. This is more kind of Jessica figuring out how to be a little manipulative using the Bene Gesserit training to kind of like you know, figure out what the missionaria protectiva kind of planted here. I know, I keep them at, this is the one where I kept imagining her getting a call from like the Bene Gesserit and uh, her being like, well, yeah, the missionaria protectiva is really doing a lot of work. And um, them being like, but Jessica, the missionaria protectiva crashed on their way to Arrakis. <laughs> they never arrived. <laughs> She's like, what? <laughs> Are you but, telling me that the prophecy was like a g- 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 ghost? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> g- g- ghost? Yeah. And she's like, oh, shoot. But no, she does seem to actually really be able to manipulate things just using her context clues and mind. Right. Oh, and before that, her and Stilgar have a very interesting kind of negotiation of male-female relationships. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, because yeah. he's just like, let's not like get into like, you know, a sex thing. marriage and sex yeah, yeah let's just let's get put the that sexy. aside yeah <laughs> yeah um i felt like both of the stilgar chapters i was like now this is like a good type of masculinity it just felt like a kind of a a good example of like healthy masculinity mm-hmm. yeah and he also says that they don't take their woman by force which i was like okay great go for it <laughs> <laughs> sweet yeah. It's a cultural, but yeah. So they, he's like, I respect you. You respect me. I would like a friendship of yours. And it's pretty cool. She finds out that there's a position open for the new Reverend Mother, mother mm-hmm. in the crew. 
Yeah, she's very interested in that. Then she kind of just like sees this prayer, kind of reaches out and decides to kind of lead this prayer. Mm-hmm. And everyone repeats it back to her. Pretty bold. Yeah. <laughs> like, which I mean, I guess she has to. And then she's uh, feels really cynical about it, that it worked. And then Paul and Shawnee are just chilling out. They're getting to know each other. Um, and then she gives him some food and he goes on another <laughs> brief uh, mind freak incident. Yeah, because it has spice honey. Yeah, he's like, oh no. And so he, I just imagine him just like sliding down the wall and just like sitting there with his knees tucked in, <laughs> like freaking out. <laughs> yeah, and then I wonder if Chani's just like, oh my God, am I going to have to call 911? This guy <laughs> can't handle his weed. Yeah, I can't handle his spice. Jesus, what a freaking teenager. Oh, yeah, and then he starts having these crazy visions of himself getting stabbed to death. (laughs) Yeah, that's right, because he sees himself on the cave floor. Yeah, he's, like, seeing every consequence of everything, and so it, like, wants him to freeze, which, you know, is relatable when you're just like, there's too many options, and everything has consequences, and I'm too scared to move, but not, like, moving also has consequences. And then he says... um, Along most of these consequence lines, he saw his own dead body with blood flowing from a graphic knife wound. (laughs) (laughs) Graphic. (laughs) Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. And it kind of like the way it describes how he kind of sees all these possibilities, any minute movement kind of changes all the possibilities that show to him. Mm -hmm. It kind of just honestly just sounds like someone kind of freaking out on weed. Totally. He's like an anxiety ball right now. Right. Yeah, you're just like, dude, chill. I don't know. Like, (laughs) just eat the damn food or something. (laughs) Like, it's not, we're not, there's not that much going on. Yeah, he almost seems totally worthless right now because he just can't even, he has no idea what's going on. Okay, so the next chapter we open, we find out that the Padishah Emperor was 72 yet looked no more than 35. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's weird. That is weird. This whole thing was strange, actually. This is the Princess Irulan quote. Yeah, he gets like a concubine. Oh, wait, maybe that was something else. Yeah, never mind. Oh, I, I think I know which one. You, you, I think that one already happened. The one yeah. where she talks about how like there was a concubine and the emperor was like, we'll save her for someone else. Yeah. I think we've already passed that entry. But do you think that that was Jessica's mother? Yeah, I actually do. Yeah, I think that Definitely. was Jessica's mother. Yeah, because she had red hair and she was like mm-hmm. Jessica's type, but it wouldn't be Jessica. So this is the chapter where Jameis gets all pissy and demands that Paul fight him because uh-huh. Paul Paul is acting as what, tribute or whatever? What do you call it? What? Yeah, he's acting as tribute. He volunteers as tribute. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this chapter was pretty fun. I thought the action was very well written. Yeah. Yeah, Jessica says... He's the brooding type, the silent brooding type. Oh, I should have seen that before. He broods. He's the silent kind, one who works himself up inside. Uh, I forgot, before we get to the Jameis stuff, they reveal that Jessica and Paul have two liter johns of water. Oh, yeah. This is kind of like the point where like she starts to see like the the true value of water. Right. Even though it makes no sense. Like, why Why has she not seen this before? Well, like, she's seen it a million times. Yeah. It's like she can't wrap her head around it. You're on a desert planet. <laughs> like, right. Why is this a shock? Right. 
Like she Obviously. didn't give a shit about the palm trees. She didn't like the weirding room. Like <laughs> she's wasn't... like, no big deal. Like yeah. y'all haven't seen Kaladin. We wouldn't even care. <laughs> yeah. 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 She like pictures a rainbow and then she's like, I shouldn't allow myself such weak fantasies. And I was like, yeah, honestly, a rainbow is kind of a weak fantasy. <laughs> she also says she's wondering about the side effects of because Paul is like standing there and his eyes are half closed and she thinks that he's become totally addicted to spice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And she says, are there side effects? He said it's something, it, it had something to do with his prescient faculty, but he has been strangely silent about what he sees. And that made me laugh just because it would be funny to have Paul try to explain to Jessica what he's seeing. Like, he just can't, like, there's right. <laughs> how he would ever explain that. Right. This is kind of a side note. Do you think glow globes float in midair? Yeah, I'd imagine them kind of like, you think they just float around in the room? Like so, a Roomba or something? <laughs> Whatever, you think a Roomba floats? <laughs> well, I mean that a Roomba is kind of sensitive, has oh, like some follows, kind of technology. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Well, so I didn't before. And then Naomi kind of mentioned that she thought that they floated in midair. And I started kind of seeing that it makes sense that they do just because... They seem to be positioned and movable. And unless they're on sticks or something, it doesn't really make sense otherwise. I feel like maybe they just float in midair. I kind of like them like uh, you can grab them and just move them and they'll just stay there. Even if it's not on anything, it's like time freezes and you can just move things around. Uh-huh. You know? Yeah. And they'll just stay exactly where you put it. Right. No, that's how I saw it too. I didn't see it as yeah. like a like a Roomba where it just like goes or moves around for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like take it. It floats in midair, but you can just move it to other spots in midair. That would be cool. I'd love yeah. to have one of those. Yeah, a lot of his technology is only slightly better than what we already had or right. probably they had in like the 60s. Right. But yeah, I like that actually. It's It makes it feel um, more like a fantasy now novel and less science fiction sometimes because of that. Right. The absence of computers helps with that. So we get back to Jameis uh, yeah. wanting to fight Paul. Yeah, Jessica. So she realizes that he isn't going to back down and she immediately starts to basically try to cheat the fight by um, messing with his head. <laughs> yeah. She's essentially like, if you kill him, I'm going to kill you just to try to strike fear. And he's like, she's being a witch! <laughs> She's being a witch. I cast silent spell on her. That was like a child, basically. It was like, yeah. you have silent spell. You can't talk. <laughs> and yeah, so Stolgar's like, yeah, okay. You have silent spell. You can no longer say anything. <laughs> <laughs> like they're making these rules up as they go along. Right. And then, yeah, Chaney tells Paul Jameis's weakness, essentially, like the mm-hmm. way he faints to the right or left, I can't remember yeah. which, which in, in the end helps Paul. Paul starts fighting and he's really good at fighting, except for that he's always been trained with a shield. Mm-hmm. So he moves just a little bit slower because to have a knife penetrate a shield, you have to go slower. And then that makes Stilgar think that he's just toying with Jameis. Right. And so he's pretty disgusted with that. So yeah, at the beginning, Jameis says, may the knife chip and shatter, which just gives Paul some useful information about how his knife works. Because he's never really even used a knife Mm -hmm. like this. Mm -hmm. I guess he has a Chris knife. 
Yeah. And so they, I mean, this is all very elegant. It just reminded, like Jessica is on the edge doing a a bunch of crowd cheering in her head where she's like, Paul now, but she can't Mm -hmm. say anything. It just reminded me of being at like a WWE (laughs) Smackdown or something. Yeah. So like Paul gets in a good stab into Jameis's hand and then Jameis, he jumps at him. Well, Jameis is now as terror freaked out for his life he's in full joker mode which so yeah the first (laughs) oh that's what you meant (laughs) no from the very beginning i was like oh like he's like this kind of thin not very good at being a fremen guy who's been humiliated by paul Mm -hmm. and so he's just brooding over there and then decides to throw his life in the ring and then yeah he goes full joker mode where he's like so dangerous because he doesn't care about constant consequences and yeah so i felt like i mean it's joker if joker had a fear of death yeah right it makes him unpredictable makes him unpredictable yeah he's no longer fighting with his mind so yeah Jameis jumps at him and cheney had told paul that he might switch his knife hand Mm -hmm. and paul's training had always told him to watch the knife not the hand and so he sees that him switching his knife hand gives him an advantage quickly shoves the knife into his chest and thrusts up (laughs) it's like okay he's dead Mm -hmm. um and he killed him with the point which duncan idaho wouldn't have liked artless yeah artless exactly and then jessica's like oh this is a big important moment for him because paul's never killed someone before what if he gets proud of the fact that he murdered and gets kind of like a taste for blood and decides that he's like a cold-blooded killer well yeah because i mean it is like you know he is proven that he uh, has superior skills um and knowledge to this other person i Mm -hmm. I bet it would be a pretty big adrenaline high (laughs) you know it probably works that way with soldiers and stuff they're trained to like after the first kill if you reinforce that and make them feel like oh you're really good at killing yeah that is that association makes you more likely to kill some more right when i mean you can get that with anything if you're competitive it's just yeah with this death thing you probably should feel uh really shitty about it (laughs) right yeah so jessica humiliates him How'd that feel? Killing someone. Oh, how's it feel to be a killer? You blood, you blood soaked killer. <laughs> yeah. Paul's like kind of snaps out of him. He's like, oh, <laughs> he gets kind of sad about it. Well, and Stilgar comes up and he's also pissed and he's like, I hope you don't play with me like that if I ever have to fight you. And then Paul looks at Jessica and he's like, you know what this was. Right. He's like, mom, uh, this was my first, I didn't want to kill this guy. Why are you being a bitch right now? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay. And so she's like, "Uh, yeah, he's uh, never killed before. (laughs) Right. He tells Stilgar, like, I wasn't toying with him. And it makes, that does make Stilgar feel better. Like, Stilgar is like relieved and he's, you know, because he was like worried about Paul. He was like, oh, shit, did we invite him? Creepy assassin kid. Yeah, who loves to kill slowly. <laughs> and then so he gets his name. Mm-hmm. Name oh, right, right, it's right. Kind of like a rite of passage thing. Like he's like soaked with his first blood. They decide that his secret Fremen name, which is not to be spoken outside of the Fremen <laughs> culture, will be Usul. Which means the base of the pillar. The base of the pillar, yeah. Which is very cool. Very, uh, that's an, an honorable name for sure. And then, so then he gets to also pick a name. Right, exactly, exactly. And that's when he asks about the mice. And yeah. And they say it's Muad'Dib. 
pretty crazy. And that's where he decides that he wants to break his his vision of the future. He just went by Muad'Dib. So he asks if he can be Paul Muad'Dib because that's not how he saw the future. Ah, uh-huh. he doesn't want he doesn't want to like just feed into you know this path that he sees, especially since that almost all these paths lead to jihad, and he doesn't really want to be responsible for bringing jihad. Right. Right. Okay. Oh yeah, totally. No, he's like always like, how can I not have jihad happen? Right. Yeah, and Jessica, when she hears Muad'Dib, she's like, oh shit! Like he told uh-huh. me that yeah. <laughs> he actually is psychic. <laughs> right. Exactly. I'm, yeah, because she's over here faking it, but then Paul kind of confirms that he's like really actually has all these prophetic powers. Yeah. So it's kind of cool that both those things are happening at once. Muad'Dib we call instructor of boys. Yeah, they seem to really appreciate a mouse. And lots of people start murmuring. Oh yeah, that was like. fun. I thought you might actually like, for some <laughs> reason, I thought that that would be funny. Yeah, uh, just like the list of things. Yeah. Again, a murmuring <laughs> response went through the troop as man turned to man. Wisdom with strength. Couldn't ask more. It's Elizabeth sure. Is that Al-Ghib? Is that Al-Ghib? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It makes me imagine like when Bart Simpson goes into a crowd and tries to get people. Yeah, like, he's running around. <laughs> uh, he's like doing little different voices. Yeah. I heard he stole all the money. <laughs> <That's right>. <laughs> <laughs> hey, yeah. I just for fools. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It also kind of sounds like the beginning of a musical number. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah this totally. is the Lisa Al-Ghaib uh, musical song. And so, yeah, he's like, it cannot be. And then we, we get God created Arrakis to train the faithful. For ch- the beginning of chapter. The 12th chapter. The 12th chapter. God created Arrakis to train the faithful. This is the one with Jameis's funeral. The funeral was um, very cool. This is also kind of where Jessica is noticing, Paul noticed Chaney. <laughs> she's pretty shady towards Shawnee. Um, I guess because she's like projecting her own experience onto her or something. Right. Which she starts questioning. She does start she does. like. Yeah, she starts saying, like, am I just doing this to myself? Have I been Infected so brainwashed? Infected with his schemes, yeah. Yeah, so brainwashed about, like, you know, what a concubine is. That, uh-huh. That I'm starting to believe it, you know? Yeah, no, it's really interesting. Yeah. yeah. Leto, for the longest time, was like, no, no, it's a good thing that you're a concubine and not my <laughs> wife. Like, that's a good thing. Like, I know. Yeah, and so she started to wonder if she's just started to believe it. She's been brainwashed. Yeah, she's like, yet yeah, I was more than a concubine. And you're like, well, yeah, why didn't he marry you? What's the big Mm -hmm. deal? And like, I don't know. Yeah, she has a lot of complicated feelings towards Johnny. So yeah, so so they get ready for the funeral. Well, Um, yeah, and they're recovering Jameis's water. And Paul's like, I don't want that. (laughs) I don't want that water. (laughs) Don't want that water. Don't give that to me. Yeah, and they're kind of like, yeah, you got to take it. It's it's important. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and Jessica's like, uh, yeah, Paul, sorry, it, we need that water to be wealthy and kind of have power over them, so. The funeral itself is pretty cool. Yes. They set out his stuff, and different people will get up and take something of his and, like, say something, you know, like a funeral. Oh, yeah, like it was like item. a total wake. Yeah, they were just like, he was my friend because one time in the desert, he made me laugh or whatever. <laughs> like, 
they keep looking at Paul and Paul's like keeps thinking like, oh shit, am I supposed to say something? Why I'm supposed to say I'm his friend? They know I'm not his friend. Like, I know he's all, he's kind of like an awkward teen in this one yeah. where he's like, oh, I don't really, but I didn't even know him. Like, I don't know what to say. Like, what is this? <laughs> funeral? I don't want to speak at a funeral. <laughs> yeah. And Jessica keeps looking at him like, Oh, Fun. Get, oh, get up and then there. she gets up and she says that Jameis was her friend because he basically sacrificed his spirit. Which she says, when the spirit of spirits within him saw the needs of truth, that spirit withdrew and spared my son. Mm-hmm. So like framing it almost like it was inevitable that they had to fight because Paul had humiliated him in the Fremen sense and they needed to do. And so his spirit was like telling the truth of the situation and his spirit uh, withdrew, leaving Paul's behind, which I would be grateful for him too. Paul finally gets the guts to stand up. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, He grabs the balisette, which as he picks it up, it twangs a little, which to me, I don't know why, why I liked that detail just because it felt like he's already feeling awkward. Uh-huh. And so he's like going over there and he's like taking this balisette like kind of carefully. Oh, so cute. Kind of like, like. Yeah, like an awkward, a sound as awkward as he is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he's like so uncertain. And then he says, he whispers, I was a friend of Jameis. And then Jameis taught me that when you kill, you pay for it. I wish I'd known Jameis better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he cries. Yeah. Because uh, it's a funeral and it's a man he killed and <laughs> it's normal human emotion to cry about that. But everyone else, because of the, the way the Fremen are conditioned mm-hmm. to live, that's just kind of for, a forbidden thing. You wouldn't you wouldn't do that. But they're impressed. They're really impressed. And they all go up and like touch his cheeks, uh-huh. and, like, feel his tears, which is it even says like it makes him uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a little intense, but they see it as a gift. Oh, yeah. I mean, it just brought back the moment with Duke Leto where he pours the water on the floor, where he's not trained to be so careful with water and uses it well. It is kind of a big sacrifice for them to give up crying at a funeral. Mm-hmm. And it is because it mm-hmm. makes you yeah. pretty hard towards yeah. death. So like the fact that they've been doing that so long and now they have Paul kind of able to cry because he's water. He is water rich now. When he can sacrifice that. Anyway, yeah, I, I thought that that was like another, like a nice counterpoint to Duke Leto's weird relationship with water. The ceremony ended with a low chant. And this is my example of like, when I don't like it, when it rhymes. Yes. Because this one rhymes. And it makes it sound dumb. <laughs> yeah. Especially, we pray to a moon, she is round. Luck with us will then abound. I feel like it's just like <laughs> reaching for a rhyme right there. Yeah, the moon's round. round. Yeah, she, uh-huh. the moon is round. <laughs> it's round. That rhymes with a bound. Yeah. <laughs> what we seek for shall be found. <laughs> yeah, and then so Chani does the ceremony of the water, which is cool. And then mm-hmm. she says to take it in peace. Mm-hmm. So it's like alleviating any sort of weirdness. Yeah, and the water is given to him by way of rings, which is kind of like a currency. And she's like, I can show you how to hold these, like how to tie them to a bandana so they don't rattle. So you're not and like they... bragging all the time. <laughs> yeah. Or if you're sneaking around so that people don't hear you. <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. And he's like, 
will you hold on to these for now? And everyone's like, <laughs> they're like, oh, sitting in a tree. <laughs> and they're, they're all like, stop laughing. He doesn't know. And that's when he gets embarrassed and realizes, oh, that's like a romantic thing to ask. Very to intimate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But come on, they're already like way aboard train love. They head out. And they go through this breezeway where there's mm-hmm. like a wind trap that is pulling wind into this chamber and also collecting condensation. Yeah, and Paul notices and Shani's like, shh. Yeah. <laughs> Which and then immediately funny. someone, yeah, and then immediately afterwards someone's like very loudly like, well, it's pretty moist in here. <laughs> yeah. I didn't understand why she was like, shut up, Paul. Yeah, because immediately it's like, yeah, obviously it is cooler in here. Y'all are about to find this huge reservoir. Right. Why does he have to be quiet about it (laughs) well (laughs) well feels good down here (laughs) and then i mean this is where we get to the water basin right the Uh uh-huh yeah they they start pouring all the water that they have through this cool water meter that counts Mm -hmm. that has a little like it counts every drop yeah yeah Yeah. counts everything and then it like goes into this basin of water and that's where you know it's revealed obviously that the fremen have been collecting water and that there's these stashes thousands mm-hmm. of them right thousands yes yeah. that blew my mind and only a few of them know where all of them are which is kind of like secret ingredient of coca-cola uh-huh they don't let <laughs> many people know what the secret ingredient of coca-cola is well it's all like pieces like there's john he yeah. knows about corn syrup and <laughs> right right rick who knows about sugar right <laughs> Which is a very good way to split up the secret. And then there's they're saying each year the polar cat melts a little bit. I guess the idea is that that's going to feed water to the rest of the world. After generations and generations, they're going to eventually cover it and plant life. Yeah, it was cool that the extent to which Kynes and his father's plans were also adopted by the Fremen. And it seems like the Fremen have been working on this for a long time. Mm-hmm. And they're totally on board. Because before it kind of sounded like it was this idea that Kynes' father had and was sort of high in the sky about it and a little delusional. But mm-hmm. then you see, oh no, the Fremen are like hard at work on this. They're fine. And so then I started to be a little resentful of Paul coming in. It's like, they're fine. Just let them do a right. few more generations of this. Like you don't, but that's the tension of the book. Paul also doesn't really want to come in. <laughs> right. He doesn't know how he fits in and yeah. Yeah, he's a mutant who <laughs> was never supposed to be born. Then Jessica realizes the extent to the Fremen and how organized they are. And then she's like, they could be wielded like a sword to win back Paul's place for him. I mean, that's the thing is like, she's pretty manipulative. And she is definitely <laughs> using these manipulative things that have been placed there for her. And yeah. she definitely sees this as like a way to win, you know, to, to get Paul in power. Yeah. And why wouldn't she, I guess? she's Yeah, she's self-interested. And I don't think she hides that. Yeah, and then Janie notices Paul's balisette and, and says, that's a good balisette. And then so, <laughs> so, a man's voice intruded. He liked music, but times, Jameis did. <laughs> this part is so cringy because... Yeah, Paul accidentally sings like a love song to. Do you think he's like essentially? No, I guess not. Jessica sees it. She's like his subconscious mind is singing. Has decided to sing this love song, but yeah, probably he's just like 
that's, you know, like any, any guy with a guitar just wants to serenade. Right. <laughs> it mentions like desires, amours. I, amours. Yeah, I just... <laughs> yeah. What flowers spangled amours pull at yeah. our hearts. <laughs> but Jessica's standing right there and she's like skeezed out. But that's when Paul realizes that his mother is his enemy. Yeah, and then she says, oh, my mother is my enemy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is That's scary. Pretty, yeah, heavy. If I was Jessica, I would be uh, nervous. <laughs> yeah, totally. She bore me. She trained me. She is my enemy. Wow. <laughs> well, just more kind of more moody teen thing of like. Yeah, of course. Oh, she put me here. She brought me here. I don't want to be here. This is Life is misery. Who gave yeah. me life? My mother. My mother is my enemy. Exactly. That, cl- <laughs> that classic, like, I'm mad at my mom for bringing me into this world. Yeah, my mother is my enemy is like a My Chemical Romance <laughs> yeah. thesis. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, so that ends that. So, yeah, as far- I don't think ending the, the movie on My Mother is My Enemy is what I know for. But I do think opening up and being like, oh my God, the water that they have is yeah. a good, because leading up to that too, Stilgar starts doing this cool chant prayer thing where they're, they're all like stomping and walking down these spiral staircases to this reservoir and he's leading this prayer and it's pretty cool and like really ramps up the excitement. I think it could be a cool ending. So, Either that, the other one I thought is where Stilgar steps out and he's like, most wouldn't want a run-in with the Fremen. And then it's like, bum, 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 cliffhanger. Yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> We're three chapters away from book three. So I guess it could technically just like go to the end of book two. We're three chapters away? Yeah. Damn, that went fast. Book two is pretty short. Yeah, I guess so. Which brings us to what we read next. I just think uh, those three chapters, honestly. Yeah? You want to just yeah. go to book three? Yeah. Yeah, let's just read up until book three, the start of book three. Great. Cool. Well, that was fun. Have you? Did you stumble across any uh, Dune inspiration this week? No, I've been working a lot. My Dune inspiration is walking around in the hot oh, sun, the sun and listening to Dune. And Yeah, you're kinds and out. Your yeah, brain is totally melting. Kind of oh, that kinds <laughs> chapter was a rough one. <laughs> Oh, to like, walk around and listen to? Yeah, of listen, course. Listen to a chapter about a man dying of heat. <laughs> yeah, you hear like a vulture caw above yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. God. Our favorite part of the episode. Uh, where we sign off. <laughs> yeah. I guess we could do those little like pieces of dialogue we hear where they're like, Yeah. Oh, he's, he's the Lisa ML guy. Okay, we could trade off for something. Until next time. Wisdom with strength. Couldn't ask more. It's the legend for sure. Lisan Al Gabe. Lisan Al Gabe. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks, guys. See you later. I just